0: Hey friends, welcome to the Breaking to Startups podcast, where we feature stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. A lot of people usually have a misconception that you need to come from a quantitative background in order to become an engineer. On today's episode, we interview Matthew Dean Brooks, who worked as a project manager for a translation company and developed his skills as a woodmaker before teaching himself how to code. If you find our chat with Matt interesting, also check out the previous episode with Preeti Kasredi, where she talks about her journey from investment banking and venture capital into software engineering. Let's break in.
1: Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10 Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister and this is the Breaking into Starters podcast. Timor, can you please tell the people what we're doing today?
0: Yeah, so we're sitting out here with Matt. We're at Hack Reactor. We're in the back room at the Alumni Lounge and Arthur, tell us a little bit about our guest. Yeah, so today we have a very special guest, Matt Brooks. Matt is a software engineer at OpenTable on the restaurant's platform team. And I actually first met Matt right after he graduated from Hack Reactor. And as Ruben likes to say, it all starts from a cold email. So Matt reached out to me on LinkedIn and asked to pick my brain over coffee. I saw he was a go-getter. He was a great guy and we hit it off right away. So Matt has a few really cool stories about his job search and how you went through Hack Reactor. But before we get into those stories, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about
2: yourself and what you were doing before you jumped into tech? Sure, yeah. Like you said, I'm at OpenTable now. I just started about a month and a half ago. A little bit about myself before I started my first job at, uh, you know, in software, I was working in a translation agency. So, you know, I was doing some client management, project management stuff completely unrelated to software engineering. Yeah, you know, I was looking to really take a hold of my life and, you know, give it some direction and purpose. And, you know, I reached out I, to a friend who had been through a boot camp and, you know, started entertaining the idea of, you know, this big, uh, big switch. Awesome.
1: Awesome. That's great. That's great. You know, we like to talk a lot about dreams. I mean, so, you know, we like to learn a little bit more about things that people are passionate about. And so a lot of times what people are passionate about are what lead to their dreams and sometimes dreams change. And so, you know, given that we know you, we know that your dream is now to pursue this passion as an engineer, but what were some of your dreams that you had when you were younger?
2: Yeah. So- Something that, that I never really considered until college was pursuing art. Uh, it's something that I did growing up, you know, I drew, you know, all the time, painted, you know, at, a, at one time, I even uh, dabbled in a little bit of uh, graffiti art. Although you may, may want to cut that out. But that was, all, that was all before I turned 18, though. So.
1: No, that's, that's good. We like to hear things like that. But, uh, We're in San Francisco where there's a lot of graffiti. So, uh, that's, so that's
2: true. That's true. So yeah, when I went to college, I went to University of California, San Diego, And I took some, you know, I had some uh, general ed classes that were around writing. And we touched on a lot of kind of critical theory, art theory stuff. And that opened up my world to the possibility of what art could be. And I had some teachers who encouraged me to pursue it. And so I started taking some lower division classes and getting into it. And pretty soon, you know, it cascaded into being my major. And I was hanging out with a lot of graduate students and getting, you know, deeper into it and really loving it. So, that was a dream that I had when I was younger that I never really entertained as being a possibility and that became much more real when I was at university. And I was able to turn that into a job working in a wood shop doing fine woodworking, where I also had a studio and, and would make artworks there. And, you know, it was the way that I could be making things, building things, you know, exercising my creativity, we, you know, we're not necessarily as strictly as a working artist, but being able to live in that kind of way. Yeah, Matt. So it sounds like you came from a liberal arts background, you were following your dreams.
0: Tell us what happened next. Did you stay in woodmaking or uh, how did you end up transitioning into becoming an engineer?
2: Yeah, so that was down in San Diego. I ended up moving back up to the Bay Area and that's when I just took a job in the translation agencies mm-hmm. in the translation world. I had some friends who worked at an agency. I was in between things and this seemed like a, you know, it was kind of the death of one dream and sort of, you know, opening up a kind of getting a big boy job, you know, buckling down and trying to grow a career. And I saw some opportunity there. It wasn't what I imagined I would, you know, do with my life, but I saw room to grow there. So I was doing the uh, project management stuff and, you know, I was working for this little company and then ended up at this other tiny startup. And there we were using a couple uh, web apps that were really terrible. You know, it, it was like uh, this web 1.0 experience where, you know, you were in like a complicated workflow, you know, and you would have to you'd save one thing and it would refresh the page and and I remember at the time too that was you know it's when rich web applications were starting to come out and I was thinking god this is not what I experience when I use something like facebook mm-hmm. or you know something else and also when you're working in an application all day like in you know enterprise software you start to notice how all the you know really you know parts that are lacking all of the deficiencies because you're just doing it all day long so I thought I could do better than this and it was a very, very arrogant thought at the time. But I was working in um I don't know if you're familiar with WeWork, but there are these kind of co-working spaces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um there, you know, there are a lot of people in tech who were around me. And I started, you know, that was really also like my first time working very closely to this environment. And there were some people I reached out to. I was like, hey, you know, what language do I even learn? And I started learning a little bit of Python because, you know, this guy knew Python and he's like, I Were you guys
0: that. were the apps that you guys had internally were they also
2: built in Python? The stuff we were using internally wasn't built by us. Mm-hmm. So it was like you know we were using these web apps it was you know developed by some a Polish company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was very far away kind of but I didn't even realize that JavaScript was you know the language of the web. you know I, I had built stuff in HTML when I was a kid, you know, just like mm-hmm. simple web pages. It was before like CSS was even really a thing. So yeah, so I you know I started to learn and then I learned that JavaScript was really the language I should be mm-hmm. I should be learning. And I started started picking things up. I was going through things like Code Wars. I was doing Code Academy, you know, the kind of the typical online free online resources. And from there, I realized that, you know, I wasn't making the progress at the pace that I wanted to. And also, I was becoming a lot more dissatisfied with the work that I was doing, you know, my day to day job and thinking, you know, I would much rather be coding full time. Mm-hmm. So um, this is also a, uh, you know, a completely it was by such a Tiny thread that I ended up at Hack Reactor or going to Hack Reactor. About a year prior to this point in time, I had run into a friend who I hadn't seen since college in the Powell Bart station, which is right outside Hack Reactor. Uh-huh. And I was like, What are you doing in San Francisco? And he's like, I'm going to one of these coding boot camps. And I said, We should grab lunch. And we ended up never grabbing lunch. <laughs> but I remember that conversation. And I reached out to him. And he was like, Yes, let's go get a beer. Let's talk about this. And that's when I first learned about mm-hmm. Hack Reactor.
0: That's awesome. And so you mentioned that you use a few of the like free online resources. And I mean, all of us kind of start with one tutorial, they jump into another and another. Kind of what resources did you find the most impactful that kind of convinced you that, hey,
2: this coding thing could actually be for me? So definitely Codecademy, because it's very handholding, gives you, I think, that first initial confidence of, you know... It's very intimidating, right? Like you go online, I mean, even as a professional engineer now, you're trying to learn something new. There's, there's so many resources, you know, you got to be, you got to really zero in on like, what's the next step that I'm going to take? And so when you're taking that first step before you know anything, I mean, it can be very easy to get discouraged and to think that you'll never learn this stuff, right? You start diving into documentation, you have no idea how to make heads or tails of this. So Codecademy is good, even though by the end of it, you know, you can't really go build an application on your own. But you at least get from zero to like (laughs) 0.5. And from there, you're like, and it's like, so that first bit, you get the confidence of like, okay, I can understand, you know, what data types are, I can understand what a function is, and what, you know, arguments to a function are, and, you know, that it returns a value, you start to get these core ideas. And it makes sense, you know, you're right, okay, I've got something, you know, that's executing, it's, I've got data going in and data coming out. Yeah.
0: So I know from my personal experience, when I first was learning how to code, I found it very frustrating because nothing ever worked. You had to go online, you had to Google for things. You could literally spend a weekend just setting up your environment. So, did you experience something similar, or did that come easy to you?
2: Oh no, everything was broken all the time, you know. And then sometimes I'll go back to code that I wrote a long time ago, mm-hmm. like when I was just beginning in a and i look at it and i'm like what was i thinking like why was i doing this weird <laughs> as you know you you don't see what you're doing as being maybe unconventional or weird or like that you know like this doesn't really make sense so you know you're you're in this constant game of like understanding a little bit and then do, but you know also maybe making moves that don't make sense but you don't have the perspective to understand that so you know you're yeah i mean it it was, it was it's very frustrating because you can't you know you you don't have enough knowledge and experience to systematically go through and figure out where your mistakes are. So it's very, so yeah, when you make a mistake, it's hard to even tell, you know, where it happened. So yeah, especially at the beginning, it's, uh, it, was, it was very frustrating.
0: Yeah, and I think Matt is making a great point because when you're first starting, at least for me, I thought that coding is going to come easy to me. And I ended up quitting two times before um, I actually sat down the third time and I said, hey, it might be frustrating, but I'm going to figure it out. So it sounds like you knew that it wasn't coming to you easy, but you didn't give up. You kept going and making those little steps, like taking those small steps until, can you bring us back and tell us at what point did you say, hey, like, I want to do this full time. I'm going to do whatever it takes, whether it's quitting my job, finding the money to pay for the coding school. Take us back to that point when you actually made up your mind to do it full time.
2: Yeah. So, and I should also note that when I first learned Python, that was on Codecademy. I gave up at that point. And it, there was, you know, some number of months, you know, probably um, maybe nine months that went by before I went back and then started learning JavaScript. So just like you. Yeah, yeah, I, that's amazing. I totally gave up. And I was like, you know, I was, you know, I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. But I just don't I didn't have, you know, you know, any kind of mentorship or anybody to like kind of point me in the right direction. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it it hadn't grabbed me hard enough at that point. I was still interested in it, though. And so so later when I came back to it, you know, I was like, all right, let's, let's take a fresh look at this. And that's when I also had reached out to my buddy, Robbie. Uh, Robbie Holmes, shout out to you also. Say. <laughs> hey, Robbie. Uh, yeah, he's an amazing guy. And he, he was really like my first mentor. And so he was somebody who kind of gave me, you know, the first bit of the roadmap of here's what you need to do to get to the next step to prepare yourself to go to a boot camp. If you're serious, you know, then Mm -hmm. this is what you need to do. And so having like a a plan like that is what gave me the resolve to pursue it. And it was at that point that I sat down with my boss and I was like, listen, I'm going to do this thing. I want to give you a heads up. I don't know when it's going to happen because I still have to get into this program. And he was super cool about it. And, you know, it ended ended up working out where, you know, I, I had time to continue studying and preparing. And, you know, I, because I had that bit of a plan to get in and I knew that from there, there'd be a further roadmap. I was like, I can do this. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't this thing where, you know, for better or worse, I, you know, I definitely flounder a little more when I don't have a clear idea of how I'm going to get to the next point. You know, Mm -hmm. I can improvise in some situations, but not like that, not to that level. So, yeah, that's what. Yeah,
0: that's an amazing story. So I guess you mentioned that you kind of picked a program, right? Like you decided to go ahead, apply to a boot camp. So can you tell our listeners a little bit about like how did you prepare? Like what did you study? Like maybe kind of a little bit about what the first interview was like, I guess, or without giving away obviously the contents. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah, yeah, I think our listeners are dying to know what that experience is like preparing to apply
2: to a bootcamp. Yeah. So uh, you know, it was it was like JavaScript fundamentals, right? And and you know, really understanding some core concepts that my friend Robbie was, uh, was able to point out that, you know, these are the things you need to understand. You need to understand scope, you know, you need to understand sort of functional programming, passing a function as an argument to another function. Uh, You know, these things that are like, that's where you start to go to another level of deeper understanding of how the language works. And also the flexibility of these things too, right? That like, you don't just have to pass this primitive value or an object, right? Like you can, like, or, you know, understanding that a function is just another object, right? That it's just another value in JavaScript and you can pass it around however you want. So those are some things that I, you know, was working on. Um, and then, uh, yeah, you know, I went in, I thought I was prepared for, you know, to get in. I thought I had a good base. So I signed up for an interview and I came in and, uh, you know, this was, uh, the, the interviews changed. So I, I I feel comfortable, you know, divulging this, but I was given, uh, you know, I was given a shuffle function at the end. So take an array and shuffle it. And that was so difficult. I had no idea what to do. You know, Uh, again, it was like, you know, you you hit a new point where if you don't have a mental model too of like how to, you know, how to tackle something, it's, you know, it's very difficult. So I came out of there, you know, not knowing how I did, but thinking that I had, I had demonstrated enough kind of, you know, they saw, now they would see enough potential in me that I would, they would let me in and I got rejected and locked out for three months.
0: Wow. So let's just, Trace it back. So you were learning how to code at first and then you gave up because it was frustrating, but then you kept going. And then you kept going and you decided to apply to a boot camp and you got rejected from that. So what kept you like motivated to keep pushing
2: and keep pushing as you were getting rejected along the way? So I this is a big soul searching moment for me, you know? And I just decided that, you know, I would give it another shot, right? Like another interview, another three months, you know, it wasn't worth throwing away all this work that I had done. And I also had the the motivating factor of having told my boss that I was leaving, you know, and that, that I was going to be out of there. And there's kind of like a ticking clock on when I was going to leave. So I sort of sort of had already thrown myself off the cliff, mm-hmm. uh, so to speak. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to let this stand in my way. You know, I'm, you know, I can do this. I'm going to buckle down. I've got three months to prepare. I ended up taking five months to really be ready for it and, you know, built a little application in the meantime and tried to push as hard as I could. But yeah, you know, I think it's it's easy to get discouraged when you get rejected like that. But, you know, you can't let those obstacles stand in your way, right? I mean, you know, I, I think also something about Hack Reactor is that they try not to leave you, you know, they don't ever leave you like that. This is not like that. You go away. You You didn't make it in. So, you know, forget about it. You know, they do give you the kind of verbiage that like, you know, you need, you need some more time, you need to prepare. And, you know, I think that's, I think that's an important part of it that, uh, and so I didn't, you know, I just tried not to lose faith in myself. And I was like, all right, I'm not, I'm not, I wasn't prepared at that time, but I've got time to go back. And if I'm going to do this, then there's going to be bigger obstacles in the way in the future. This is just the first of many things that are, you know, that yeah. are going to go wrong and then are going to block me. So I got to get over this
1: yeah what what did your um your parents say what did your girlfriend say at the time? Was there anything that you were listening to for inspiration or anything that like made you question yourself as you were going through that?
2: I was very lucky you know I had talked a lot about this with my with my folks and they were super happy that I you know they saw how excited I was about it and how I you know talked about this you know much more positively than than anything going on in my life at the time you know about my much more than my job too. So they were they were stoked, you know, they were ready to uh, support me any way they could. And same with my girlfriend. You know, I think I think also it helps, you know, when you're taking a risk, but there's obvious proof in the world that this is like a successful path, right? Like it's easier to convince other people, you know, if it had been the opposite, if I had been leaving tech and pursuing art and been failing to make something like that happen, I probably would have had a lot more pushback from the people close to me. But it's an easier sell when it's like, well paying job and there's lots of jobs and you're also in the area where you know the market yeah. is so i mean and that's a factor right you know it's you can't ignore that like you're trying to make this dream this new dream happen, and there's obstacles in the way, but at least you know at least you can also kind of keep your eye on the prize that you know that there are gonna be a lot of opportunities out there, and that they're you know if you don't fit in one place you're gonna you're gonna find some place to fit in awesome,
0: yeah, awesome, so I guess you finally got into hack reactor you Stay there twelve hours a day for six weeks a day for almost three months. So I guess what was your impression of the whole experience? I know there's a lot of people that sometimes doubt that experience or they have second thoughts. Like kind of what was your overall impression about the curriculum and the people that you were
2: surrounded by? Yeah. So I mean, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. It was also one of the most fun things I've ever done. I mean, I know that's probably what a lot of people say, but it, you know, it's true. You know, from the first day that I was here you know, getting to know better the people in my cohort. I was so impressed by everybody. You know, I felt like I was, you know, one of the dumbest people in the room. I felt like I was one of the least talented people in the room. And that was, that was great, though, right? As kind of diminishing as you, that might make you feel, it's so much better to be surrounded by people who you think are smarter than you. And, you know, of course, that's not true that there's different gaps that everybody has in their knowledge and their skills. But it's fantastic to have that peer group, that really that's what, that's, I feed off that energy. And so having that, you know, to help motivate me was fantastic. You know, that that was a huge for the day-to-day driving that energy, yeah.
1: Yeah, and, and speaking of peer groups, while, while you were in there, um, I know that you created something that was related to the arts. You created this like musician-less jam program. Were there any other artists that you met that were also trying to break into engineering while you were in your cohort?
2: Yeah, let me think about who from my cohort You know, I don't think there was anybody who was strictly a musician, although uh, Chris Young, who was a collaborator on that project, he is he is like a formally trained uh, musician as well. And uh, that's terrible, but I can't remember exactly what he was doing right before Hack Reactor. But there were for sure some people who had, you know, some more artistic bents who were also, you know, also coming into this world. But, you know, our cohort in general, you know, there are people from from all over the place. There were people who had been doing, you know, sales stuff prior. Yeah, totally.
0: And uh, so I guess we'll talk a little bit about the job search. And I know I was uh, super surprised when I opened up my uh, mailbox and then I see an email from a Hack actor grad. I was just in those shoes like six months prior. And I remember that it wasn't always easy. So I think just the overall community of, of actor-actor grads is very supportive. So when I saw your email where you asked me to meet you for a coffee, I was super stoked. And I was just kind of excited to share some uh, experience and advice with you. So I guess, what was your experience like? And uh, what advice do you have for other, uh, I guess, bootcamp grads and other people looking to break into Tech?
2: Yeah. So when I wrapped up, so I did the uh, the Hacker in Residence program here. So I ended up staying on for another three months and got to work closely with students and, you know, kind of deepen my skills and, and also, you know, give back to the community here a little more. And so by the time I started my job search, you know, a bunch of my friends from the cohort, you know, were working. And then there were kind of the the close group of us who had been the hackers in residence who had started all at the same time. And a few of them got jobs right away. And I had like a, a warm lead at this one company where I had a little bit of traction and had gone through a couple tech screens with them. And they had kind of a drawn out process and they were kind of slow to get back to me. But that was like the one thing I had going on. Everything else was radio silence, you know. And I was applying to tons of jobs as you know the outcomes team advises, and and it was it was so slow. And then I and, you know one of my friends got a job in like a couple of weeks, and then another one you know followed shortly thereafter. And I was just barely starting to hear back from some places at that point. And for sure, I felt some great doubts at that time too. And I was wondering you know in what ways am I going to have to settle? Am I going to need to adjust my expectations of what I can? realistically accomplish in this job search and you know i had patience and i kept pushing and kept applying to places and things started to heat up and you know it, it kind of it was a slow burn for me but by the end i was so busy with interviews and like trying to schedule things and you know it, it really is true that you know one thing kind of builds on the next and the more so even though even though you might go through a long stretch of feeling like nothing is happening it kind of comes together very quickly at the end. I think that's true for a lot of people, probably not everybody, but yeah, it's uh, you're going to feel just like the worst because you're going to get up every day and you're going to be applying to jobs and you're going to be looking at these requisitions and looking at the years of experience that they require and that they require a computer science degree and all of these things. And you're going to be like, I'm not qualified for this job. And you hit apply and you do it anyway. And then people get back to you. And then you talk to people and you get a chance to, you know, tell your story. And and that's, and you know, and at first you're telling the story and you're saying, I'm a software engineer and it feels like a lie. And then, you know, you get it down and you're like, no, I, you know, this is natural. This is the truth. I'm just in this this weird part of living where you've got to like be the salesman of yourself and talk to these strangers and, and it's uncomfortable. You know, nobody likes doing that, but um, it definitely helps. Uh, I'm good at turning up the enthusiasm when I need to. So that's something that's, you know, it's important. You know, you got to come off, uh, you know, as a, as a energetic person, even if you're you have no idea really what the position is going to be like, you know, you got to be into it. Yeah. How many of those, those speaking of sales, like how many
1: of those emails did you send out? Like, did you do any cold calling? If you could estimate, uh, how many of those did you send out? Did you do any coffee meetings? Like, you know, it's a, it's a process and like it's an 80, 20, you know, 80, 80 percent of results come out of 20% of your efforts. And so, you know, talk about that a little
2: bit. So, uh. I actually got some really good advice from, from Arthur. He mentioned that he had cold emailed VPs of engineering. And I remember when we first sat down, that blew my mind. I was like, I was like, wait, what? You just, you know, you just cold emailed some VP of engineering at a company and and they got back to you. And, you know, I did that. I ended up reaching out to um, the VP of engineering at Pivotal Labs and, you know, he got back to me and I even had, this is really embarrassing. I even had a typo in my email. That is like the thing that you do not want to do is make that first impression with, you know, a typo. And he got back to me and he was like, yo, I can't meet up for coffee, but let me introduce you to one of our recruiters. And, you know, I ended up going in for a tech screen and was about to schedule an onsite when they filled the position and, you know, and, uh, you know, they stopped things there. But the important thing is that I got past the first, the front door with them, which is where I think a lot of people get shut down, right? You know, they don't have a CS degree. They don't have any prior experience as a software engineer. Maybe even you know they've got the boot camp on their resume is maybe even hurting them in a lot of cases, so it's that initial you know hurdle of applying that I think people you know struggle with the most, and you know this is like an example of another cold email where this guy had pretty much no reason to get back to me and and still he did and and it worked out you know, I didn't get that job, but I got experience interviewing i also it was also one of the most fun interviews I've ever done. It was a pair programming ex- exercise and uh it was just like it was a blast i had a couple others like that where i did some cold emails and got some traction those ones ended up not working out either but you know regardless like you never know what does so i think that's you know i think it's like you have nothing to lose right i mean you know if you're polite if you don't make like a real hard demanding ask if you're just like hey i'm interested and this is you know i mean i'm kind of just this is like a note right out of of arthur's playbook here (laughs) but uh you know you know, you don't make a hard ask. You just say I'm interested, and the worst that they can say is no,
1: or ignore it. So I mean, yeah. like boldness paid off for you. You broke through all the barriers, all the boot camp stereotypes, and now you're at open table. So, you know, what are your plans for the future? Do you plan on, you know, reintroducing, or pursuing your dream of being a woodsman on this or a craftsman on the side, or like what's next for you?
2: Yeah. So one of the things that really got me interested in software engineering. Like like once I started coding, one of the things that felt so right about it was that I was like building things again and I didn't have to pay for materials and I didn't have to pay for shop space or studio space or anything. That was one of the really the most attractive things about it in the beginning. So now that's kind of like, you know, I, I'm i fulfilled on my creative side. I'm solving different kinds of problems and building different kinds of things, but it kind of it scratches that itch at a fundamental level. So I'm going to I'm probably, you know, I'll continue pursuing. Kind of other you know endeavors as outlets, but uh, but I'm going to be a software engineer for the foreseeable future. I've got a lot to learn. There's a ton of room to grow, and and uh, until I hit some kind of ceiling, you know, I'm just going to be just coding my brains out as much as I can.
0: Yeah, Matt, and I completely agree. And I say this to my friends all the time: is I can't believe I'm getting paid to learn. And as a yeah. software engineer, you're surrounded by very smart like engineers, coworkers, and Every single day, you're learning something new. You're working on solving a new problem. You're tackling challenges and you're being compensated for it. So I can't even imagine a better job to have than just kind of be an
2: engineer. It's unbelievable. It really is. Yeah.
0: Thanks, Matt. So the next uh, part of our interview is going to be the lighting round. So during the lighting hour, uh, round, Arthur Rubin and I will ask you a series of questions and uh These questions, they require short answers, but they're geared towards specific advice, techniques, and resources that you use to break into startups. So I'll let Arthur take it away. Awesome, Timur. So I guess the first
2: question is, uh,
0: if you had to start all all over again and you had $100, you were in a new city, what would you do and where would you start?
2: If I had $100, I was in a new city, and I had to start this. All over again. All over again. Quick. (laughs) (laughs) I'd spend that hundred dollars finding a mentor, finding somebody who could meet up for even just a couple hours or paying them a hundred dollars to give me like a a little roadmap, a little plan of what to actually do. I mean, that's risky, but you know, I would use it to find somebody to sit down and talk to a real life human being who could, who could give me some guidance. Mm -hmm. Got it. Got it. Awesome. So
1: throughout the process, pick one song, movie, blog or quote or something that one of those mentors told you that really kept you going throughout this process, if any?
0: It doesn't have to be a mentor. It's just something that you came across. Or a song or a
1: art piece that you looked at or something.
2: Yeah. That's a, God, This light you guys didn't tell me about the lighting. This is, <laughs> uh, this is so difficult. You know, uh, one of the people who had a really big impact on my, I'll try not to go on too long. Marcus Phillips, pretty much everything that that guy says is something that really stuck out to me. I don't know if I can pick one. I don't know. Come back to me on that. I'll, okay. Yeah.
0: And Marcus is the founder of Hack Ractor, by the way. Yeah. And uh, so what is one piece of advice you would give to someone who is considering starting this journey?
2: One piece of advice would be to embrace frustration, to embrace, you know, failure, that to know that that it's OK to fail, that you're going to fail all the time and you're going to have to keep doing it until until you make it cool
1: what is one thing that you fundamentally believed in that you've changed your mind on after this process?
2: Oh, something I've changed my mind on.
1: Yeah. Like you believe something before starting this. Yeah. And then after the process, you believe something else.
2: You know, I think one thing is that I don't know how much I believe this before, but I think there's, you know, I definitely believe that that people have like innate talent, right? I don't really believe that anymore. I think that that doesn't matter, you know, or, or to the degree that people do have it. It doesn't really make a difference. And that's what I've seen, you know, proven wrong, right? That, you know, at Hack Reactor, you see people blow that notion away every single day. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, thanks, Matt. Uh, We had an awesome interview. Our listeners love
0: to hear inspiration stories like yours. And just to recap, Matt started out as a fine arts major. He was doing uh, like woodwork. He was pursuing arts. And then something like one day he just... uh, Something caught his attention about engineering and he just decided to pursue it. So, to all of you listening, just know that hey, if engineering is something you want to do and something you want to pursue, then hey, give it a try.
1: And related to that last point, I like that a lot, just given the arts piece, because, you know, I started studying the Suzuki method, even though I went to somewhere else. There's like different types of schools where they believe that only certain musicians make it because of innate talent, but Suzuki method is like, it's based off of the philosophy that every child can. So, I love that, like, that was core to. To your process, and so kudos to you, man.
0: Yeah, good job. So to finish off, what is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you?
2: Are you on social media, Twitter, Snapchat, any of that? Yeah, you can find me. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. I'm Matthew Dean Brooks. I think you can find me on Facebook at the same. I'm also on Twitter at Dean Boop. That's (laughs) B-O-O-P. And for our listeners, we'll have the links in our
1: show notes. And no Snapchat? Where's the Snapchat?
2: I'm uh, I i I'm, I'm a consumer only. I'm not a <laughs> producer <laughs> it, on Snapchat. Okay. That's awesome. Sounds
1: good. Well, thank you for spending time with us. And
2: thank you guys. Yeah.
1: Thanks, Matt.